You're listening to What the H, a fantasy hockey podcast. And we are back with another episode of your favorite fantasy hockey podcast, What the H. He's Eric and I'm Corey. And man, do we have a jam-packed episode for you guys today. Jam-packed it is. And both of us had a pretty crazy, hectic couple weeks, but we're excited. We're back on the podcast. We're going to go over the end of round two. We have a couple exciting series. And we'll look at round three, the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. We'll see if our picks are still on track. We'll look at what our expectations were going into round three, and we'll see how it's going. That's right. And we have uh, second round bouncers. Should they hold up or blow up? As well as the question everyone's been asking this week, was it offside? So all that more coming your way. Stay tuned right after this. All right, so yeah, Eric, as, as Eric mentioned there in the in the intro, crazy couple weeks for us both, but we're uh, happy to be back here on the podcast with all of you. And uh, what a crazy round two it was. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit now. And it was just uh, some exciting hockey, some exciting comebacks, and a sweep, which is always exciting to see. But perhaps a bit of a of a surprise sweep, would you say, Eric? Yeah, definitely. I did not predict that. I think um, we both said going into round two that you know it would be long series for all of them. We couldn't pick out any that were going to be swept, but obviously we were wrong. Uh, obviously, and I think a lot of people were too to see Florida complete. <laughs> there's good old Dakota (laughs) to see the Florida Panthers collapse like that. It was just uh, not to be expected, but once again, you just see the strength of the reigning champs, right? Came through and dominated from start to finish four games straight. Uh, Only three goals allowed. Andre Vasilevsky was an absolute wall. And uh, what can you say more than, you know, two two time defending Stanley cup champions, um, and they just showed the, the best team in the league over the season. They just showed who's the boss, really, after that one. Yeah, I think we did talk about it, uh, you know, last episode a little bit. Just Florida's big guys didn't come up. You know, they didn't perform. And it was just a, a performance by the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs to uh, sweep such a good Florida team with so many um, offensive weapons. Um, but it really goes to show you these guys are still the ones to beat. Absolutely. And you think three goals in four games, like that's just embarrassing for any team that would be embarrassing. And then last game you're shut out. Like my goodness, uh, just quite, like you said, quite the, uh, the showing for uh, Tampa Bay lightning, but that wasn't the only exciting series uh, to watch last series, uh, last round, of course, uh, the Battle of Alberta, something so many people were so excited for. As a fan of one of those teams, Eric, how did you feel watching that series? It was so exciting. Like, I think this playoffs, like, the most exciting as a hockey fan that we can remember. There's been a ton of goals. There's been a ton of rivalries. 
And that Battle of Alberta was the top of the list. It was just uh, exciting, hard-checking hockey. There was ups and downs in the series, but at the end of the day, my boys, the Oilers came through. <laughs> McDavid, Kane, Drysidle performed. 17 points for Drysidle in that series. Everyone talks about McDavid, but with one leg, one leg, Drysidle <laughs> led the way with 17 points. So I was, I was pumped up every night watching them. <laughs> yeah, I bet you were. Bet you were. But then again, you look at, like we said about the Florida Panthers, you look at uh, the Calgary Flames and just flamed out in a lot of ways. Started off so strong. They looked so strong to start off the series and then just a complete collapse on almost every level, right? But not to take away from those Edmonton Oilers, you're absolutely right. Uh, dominated once they got going three games in a row to cap it off and moving on to the uh, Western Conference Finals. So I was some exciting hockey to watch, absolutely, for any hockey fan, even myself, you know, not really attached to the Battle of Alberta, but you got to respect the rivalry there. Yeah, it was, um, it wasn't pretty by any means. <laughs> there, was some, uh, there was some major swings there as a fan. You thought, man, this is where it all changes. But, it was some brutal hockey. But Edmonton you know, held on. They won uh, game five in OT and uh, sealed the deal. They moved on. But there was, a, there was some controversy on, on that side. Yeah, well, you really saw, though, the value Evander Kane brings to the Edmonton Oilers, right? Like, if he hadn't been there with guys like Chuck and others, I don't know if Edmonton would have had the same response as they did. And Kane not only responded physically, but he had, I think, was it one or two hat tricks that series? And one within, in one period, a single period, right? And so when you get someone like him scoring like that, it is uh, pretty hard to stop that train moving. That's uh, for sure. And then we had um, an interesting one, the St. Louis Blues, Colorado Avalanche. I think we both agreed Colorado was, was the favorite going into that one. Um, but unlike the first series, Colorado definitely had a challenge overcoming the Blues. Um Despite, you know, perhaps outplaying them at times, outshooting them at times, you really saw the maturity and the grit that St. Louis has uh, behind, you know, their, their big players. Um, you really saw them really fight for it and, and really gave Colorado a run for their money. Yeah, I think um, the goaltending, you know, Bennington was rolling. Bennington went out halfway through the series or at the start of the series and Husso is a, a great goalie but when you're going against a powerhouse in Colorado you need everyone to perform at the top and they had some scoring they had some you know great depth in their lineup they had their young guns that were were contributing but I think the goaltending you know let in a couple problematic goals at the wrong moments and as a result Colorado beat them in six yeah I think you're right like you said goals at the wrong time and I think as we discussed round three that seems to be a theme as well just goals at the wrong time have can really uh undo your season 
and knock you off your game and can knock you right out of the playoffs, as we saw with the St. Louis Blues. Then, of course, I mean, in my opinion, this is probably the least exciting, but it ended up being some pretty good hockey between the Rangers and the, and the Hurricanes. And uh, I had the Rangers going through. Who did you have for that series, Eric? Yeah, I had Carolina. Yeah, Carolina, man, you you have been killing me this this year in the uh, in the bracket. You're uh, you're doing well, I gotta say. But Carolina pulls it, or I mean, rather not Carolina. Uh, the Rangers pull through, and we saw kind of a, re- a return of Shosturkin's play that we didn't really see in the first round. Like I think he had a really solid bounce back round, and so did a lot of their big time players. Um, especially see even now in the third round that we'll get into, we really kind of felt that during the Canes Rangers series, the New York was really starting to find their groove again and their work ethic came back, their back checking came back and everything started falling into place, which they've now carried on into the second series that we'll get into or a third series rather that we'll get into in a minute. Um, but what did you think of the Carolina Rangers? Was there anything that really stood out to you? Um, yeah, like you said, the goaltending, I was surprised with just the, um, how Carolina collapsed, like they had plenty of opportunities to run with it and they were at home for game seven. They did not lose at home and they go home. Shesterkin plays lights out and Carolina couldn't score. They like, they didn't have that killer instinct to, you know, put it to New York. New York led the play a lot of the way and, you know, they were out of the series. One interesting note um, is Carolina in New York series ended on the 30th and going into round three, they only had a, a two day turnaround. So yeah, Tampa Bay was sitting there for over a week because they swept Florida. New yeah. York was rolling. New York got past Carolina. And then they went right into their series against Tampa Bay that we'll get into. But they won that first game. And I think there's definitely something to be said for once a team gets rolling and you know they don't have a long break in between their next series like New York has. Um, you know, we can see they've kind of just continued that momentum. Shosturkin's continued to play really well, and they're getting scoring throughout their lineup. Their stars are performing like stars. Kreider's continuing to score like he has in the regular season, getting 50 goals. So they're humming. And I got to say, I, I don't think many uh, had them going to the finals, the Eastern Conference finals, but there they are. That's <laughs> the Tampa Bay. Yeah, I can't. I gotta say, I would not have guessed at the beginning of the playoffs that the Rangers would be taking on Tampa Bay in the end, but uh, that's hockey for you. Um, but like you said, I think we might as well just go straight into discussing um, the conference finals here because that's a really good point you make about rest versus rest, right? You looked at Tampa Bay and what they did to Florida after a really hard fought series against the Leafs, seven games brutal. Went straight in, but they found their groove and they just wiped the floor with Tampa or with Florida, rather. 
And now you have the reverse happening where, where now Tampa got time to rest where the Rangers had a long series, go right into it. And without missing a beat, they're still in their rhythm, still in their game. And they've really handed it to Tampa Bay. The funny thing is when you look at, when you look at the numbers and you, and you watch those games, as we kind of said before we started recording this podcast is you can't really like you can't really pick out what it is that Rangers are doing so well to be beating Tampa Bay like they are up uh, two games to one, right? So you see the Tampa has kind of gotten back a little bit, but to win both games on the road, uh, that's huge, especially against the defending cup champs, right? And so I think it comes goes back to that rest versus rust controversy that which one is truly which one do you want do you want to rest or do you rather just keep the ball rolling keep going but I don't know what do you think yeah I think it's clear that um when teams have too much time it's really hard for them to pick back up get their emotions back in it I mean what do you think these guys are doing on their days off they're probably sitting on the beach you know. <laughs> yeah Florida these guys aren't skating hard and and keeping keeping their mojo going because you take a week off and like your timing your your energy levels it just it's hard to get that back for game one and I think we've seen that it was a decisive victory um, from New York and you know they have a lead in the series they beat Tampa 6-2 in that first game so clearly they had the jump on Tampa but that being said Tampa won the last game, game three, three to two. And we know that you cannot count these guys out. They don't have point, but they still won that last series. So I don't know if we'll see point come back, but the fact that, you know, they're back-to-back Stanley Cup champs, you cannot count them out. New York is playing great. They're humming, but I still see this being a long series. Yeah, I think Tampa will push it. And you think, too, when you look at – you mentioned injuries. Um, like, the Rangers, like, no disrespect to Sammy Blais, but he's no Braden Point. And he's – especially when you compare him to the team that he plays for. Like, Braden Point's loss, him not playing, is definitely a, a bigger impact than Sammy Blais not playing. And so, despite the fact that the Rangers had a long series previously, they haven't really faced those – injuries to overcome and you can't but think that even if they do pass the tampa bay lightning at some point almost every team virtually faces some sort of major injury to a, ma- a more core player now semi blaze may be a core piece moving forward in the future but as of right now you know i would i would argue that he's not part of that core group for the, the new york rangers but like you said, you saw that you see that too with the Colorado, right? Again, they had long rest period, and then the Blues took took them to town, and they kind of really made them, you know, get back on their heels a bit. And and Colorado had to fight back. So this isn't specific just to a team that's you know gone all the way two years in a row. This is a consistent thing. So I think for the most part, like you said, I think it's pretty relevant and pretty obvious which is better. That as long as, you know, as long as, of course, you don't have any major injuries, that keeping it rolling, keeping the rhythm going, like you said, timing, when you're playing on this elite level, timing is what matters. And it's so 
minute differences that can make such a large difference in the result of a game, right? And so I think, yeah, these playoffs, you've really seen that uh, the uh, rust is a, is a worse factor um, than the rest. So interesting. Yeah, I agree. And a funny thing that going into the series that I've seen online, the list of goalies that the New York Rangers have faced, Casey DeSmith, Louis Domingue, an injured Tristan Jari, Antti Ranta, and Carolina's third string goalie. I'm going to try to not butcher his name. Kochikov. <laughs> well done. So these <laughs> were the goalies that the Rangers have been facing, not top end goalies. So Vasilevsky had a rough game one. He bounced back fairly well in game two. He obviously was a winning goalie in game three. When it comes to shut out games or games that um, where they can either close the series or lose the series, Vasilevsky comes to perform at those moments. So I just see him finding his game again. He took all that time off. So he's finding that, that rhythm, that speed, and, and you see his eyes, you know, just laser focused when he's in net. It looks like he's, you know, piercing your soul with those <laughs> eyes. So yeah. I do see Tampa, you know, continuing their strong play. Um, one key line for the Rangers is actually their third line. Alex Lafreniere, Philip Cheadle, and Capo Caco. Mm. So in game one, those that line was, was flying. They were producing goals. And this is their third line, their kid line. So the fact that they have, you know, this line running, and then they have Panarin on their second line, Zabinijad centering their first line. They are a solid team. I think a lot more solid than, than everyone gave them credit for. Um, so it's going to be a very entertaining series. I think we'll still get um, many goals, but everyone said going into this, this series, it was going to be Shosturkin versus Vasilevsky. Game one, we didn't see that battle, but we've seen it in game two and three. So it's going to be interesting to see if that battle continues and these teams are going to have to grind for those goals. So who is going to be able to do that better? Yeah, and if you're going to count on anyone, I think, you know, Vasilevsky has to be your pick. If you're going to count on anyone to save a series for you, to win three more games, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I see it going seven, and personally, I see I still see Tampa coming out on top. Um. What do you think? Because I, I, I feel like the longer this series goes on, the more pressure goes on the Rangers to perform. But maybe I'm wrong on that. But when you start off so strong, you know, then if Tampa wins this next game, then the pressure is on for the Rangers, right? And I think I think that's where Tampa will take over, and I still see them coming out on top in this series. A hundred percent. You can, you do not want to be in a game seven versus Tampa Bay. So <laughs> yes. I would say if the Rangers were going to win this series – They've got to win the next two games. They've got to finish it out in six or five if they can. But if they want to win, I see them winning in six. I just don't see that happening. I think Tampa, with all that time off, couldn't get going. They were, like you said, rust over rest. And now those wheels are starting to get going. The bottom lines are are going to get firing here again, contribute like they have all season. So 
I see Tampa winning it in seven. Won't be a cakewalk because they're facing Shesterkin. But like you said, the longer this series goes on, I think it definitely, the, the scale tips towards Tampa Bay because they've been here so many times before and their top players come to perform when they need to in those big games. And not just their top players. They have playoff Perry and playoff Platt, right? Like you yeah. can't stop those guys in the playoffs. And, and, and to your point, I think I agree. I totally agree with that. You know, if Rangers are going to take this, they have to either take it in five or take it in six. But to take it in five, that means they have to win another back-to-back against Tampa, which after 18 tries, one team has only done it once where <laughs> they've won back-to-back against Tampa. To do that again, and especially do that again right away, that would be extremely impressive, I think. And I just – I agree. I don't see that happening. That means they have to close out in six. And that too, yeah. If you don't – if they don't win game six, if this game – if this series does go to game six and Rangers lose game six and Tampa forces game seven, then you can almost, you know, guarantee it'll be Tampa in the finals. But yeah. The writing's on the wall if that happens. Okay, so that's time for our, our five-minute major. Second-round bouncers, hold up or blow up. Uh, continuation of our previous conversation, last episode of our first-round bouncers and uh, next-year hopefuls. This, this uh, episode, we'll talk our second-round bouncers and what uh, they, we think they should do. So let's start with the St. Louis Blues. They just signed Cal Rosen to a two-year extension. Bennington says he is, and I, you could see me putting air quotes here, he is all right. And David Perron, who's said to be UFA, is also expressing a desire to come back. Eric, St. Louis Blues, hold up or blow up? They have to hold up. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the goaltenders. Um, do they trade Huso? Do they try to bring him back? Does he want to come back? Does he want to be a second fiddle to Bennington? I don't know. So we've seen in these playoffs, you need two solid goaltenders, but they've got to stay the course. They show that they're still a good team and they, you know, they played, they played uh, really well in the last round, they took it to six. So I think they continue to add pieces. They try to get some of those guys, this free agent signed on their team and bring in another piece or two. And uh, they got to hold up. I don't think it's really time to blow up for them. Yeah, I agree. I think they should hold up, but it boils down to, like you said, their decision on the, on, on the goaltenders. You mentioned trading Huso. What about Bennington? You could trade Bennington if you really liked what you saw out of Huso. Like, no doubt he caught the eye of many GMs around the league with his performance in the regular season, in the playoffs. There will be a market for him for sure, um, but the market for Bennington would be even bigger. And so if you're confident in Huso, maybe maybe Benning, move Bennington. But at the end of the day, overall, I think hold, uh, hold up is definitely the way to go for the St. Louis Blues um, with trying to add, obviously, some pieces, as, as all teams do. But you have a great core, and, uh, you know, you were so close to making the Commerce Finals again, and you were against a very good Colorado Avalanche team who have been a favorite to win the Cup since the beginning of the season. And you pushed them to six. Like, that's nothing to smirk at. So 
great off or a great postseason and see what they do in the offseason. But yeah, I agree. Uh, hold up for now for sure. Yeah. All right, Calgary Flames. Uh, Goudreau really enjoys playing for Calgary, obviously. Uh, he is a UFA. Sutter wins the Jack Adams Award for uh, best NHL goalie of the year or coach of the year, rather. What do you think? Hold up or blow up for your nemesis there? I think they obviously need to hold up. They have a, a solid team. I do think their defense is definitely lacking. Um, you compare Calgary's defense to Colorado's without Gerard, and I really think it's the defense that, that has made Edmonton's life so difficult. So obviously those big pieces, they need to find a way to at least resign one of them. Goudreau wants to stay, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the dollar. So are they able to give him enough money where he feels he's valued? And obviously they want to stay together. They, they believe in their group, but I believe Kachuk is a, a restricted free agent as well. So these guys are big pieces for them. Do we see an offer sheet? Probably not likely, but, you know, I think they got to hold up and continue the course, improve their defense, and they'll be a better team going into next season. An offer sheet. That would be interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think hold up as well. Calgary, if you can re-sign Goudreau and Kachuk, uh, re-sign them. Uh, Lindholm, obvious an obvious guy you want to hold on to and is, and you want to keep him a solid piece of to your core. Uh, but one thing they got to figure out obviously is Sean Monahan. He's injured. Um, what do you do with his contracts? Do you try to ship it out, get some money somehow there? Do you buy him out? Whatever you need to do there to open up a little bit of cap space, I think will be beneficial. Or even if you're able to get something, for him, some resources, some draft picks and, you know, later rounds or what have you. Um, you have to solve that issue. Um, you have a solid goaltender. You have some great forwards. You work on your D just a little bit. As good it is, as it is, you can always work on your D. But give Sutter a full another year here. Give everyone another year under his tutelage, under his system, under his strategy. And I think uh, you'll have at least the same result. And I mean, they had a good, great season. They had a decent postseason. Obviously, we're hoping, and uh, many were going for, myself included, thinking that they would um, push past the Oilers. Um, that was not the case. But give everyone another year of growth. Um, I just do think it's something to mention that Sutter himself was happy with their play and their growth this year. And Sutter is not a man who expresses happiness very often. So I think that is something uh, not to shake a stick at. Uh, if you can impress him, then you're on the right track. Florida Panthers, uh, they just, uh, their, their head coach, Andrew Burnett, rather, uh, he was a Jack Adams finalist. Uh, hold up or blow up for the Florida Panthers? What do you think? They had such a good roster this year. Like they traded for Drew. Trot. I think some other players they, they added to the roster and they have good young players. They have their superstars in Barkov and Huberto. I, I don't see them blowing it up. I don't see them being able to sign Giroux. Uh, we'll see about 
Sherratt. I think he's good for their team, but these guys want to be, be paid. They're traded halfway through the season because, you know, they're, they're coming up on unrestricted free agency. They have the freedom to go where they want. So how do they bring in star players that are going to perform in the playoffs? They didn't this year. I think they need to switch things up a bit, but obviously with, with the star talent on their, on their roster, you're, you're not blowing the team completely up, but we'll see uh, what changes the GM can make to improve them to become a better playoff performer. Yeah. I think holding up is uh, the, the right way to go. That being said, you look at their team and yeah, Carter for cannot be your playoff leading goal scorer. Um, if you had his performance with Barkov and Huberdo at their typical level of play, then my goodness, it would have been a very different round two uh, for the Florida Panthers, but yeah, they didn't show up and it makes you wonder kind of with the same conversation, I think as what surrounds Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner is, do they have the eye of the tiger? Do they have that ability to really close out a team that is really good? Um, the Leafs obviously haven't closed to anyone, but uh, that being said, they had an opportunity to take Tampa Bay out. They could have. They have the, the roster, but they yep. didn't. What went wrong? And I think that has to be addressed. Not that you're going to blow up the team, but I would also not be surprised if some slightly major moves came out of Florida for that reason. Ben Sherratt, fantastic signing. Um, I thought that was brilliant to get to pick him up from uh, Montreal. But um, Giroux, you're probably not going to keep. And so what do you do now? What do you do to get these players to the next level in the playoffs? And that's the question I think they need to answer. What I would say is you bring in Barry Trotz. He's, he's available now. was released for really? I think he's a guy that gets the team going. He identifies players and their roles. And I think he would, he would be able to get to – them to that to that level i think we could say the same in terms of the stars not performing in carolina excuse me we'll see we'll see what they do in terms of coach i think when you're when your stars aren't performing they need a voice they need the right guy in the bench to get the most out of the team and i think barry trotz is known for that on a coaching front some breaking news bruce cassidy has been fired from the bruins after six seasons. So clearly the Bruins are switching directions. They recognize, you know, you can't trade Marshan, you can't trade Pasternak. So you need to bring in a coach that's going to motivate your players to find that next gear, especially in the playoffs. So I think that's what the Panthers are going to have to do. You bring in a coach, if they can get like a Paul Maurice, obviously not a ton of playoff success, but I really like him as a coach or a Barry Trotz, those type of guys motivate their players and will help them to achieve their goal of playoff performance. That's an interesting point because, as I mentioned, like Andrew Burnett was an Ad Jack Adams finalist. Do you move a finalist for coach of the year? You could. You look back at the Raptors a few years ago before they won the championship, um, they, they moved their coach, Sam Mitchell, who had just one coach of the, he had one coach of the year 
when they moved him uh, for Nick Nurse. So maybe you're onto something. And I think uh, mentioning Paul Maurice in this conversation, going to Florida, uh, I like that fit. I like Paul Maurice in Florida. Uh, I agree. I've always been a fan of his coaching style. Um, even during his times with the Leafs, even though it wasn't overly successful, I always respected the way he did it. Um, but Trotz in Boston, that's a whole other conversation. I think that it would be, I think that would be scary to see him behind that bench with those players. Um, that would be, that would be something to see. Um, but that does bring us to Carolina. Uh, we've already kind of touched base on them. Should they hold up or blow up? Rob Brandon Moore seems to be happy with the way things went, even though obviously uh, he wishes they went further. Uh, Sebastian Ajo was there who is their guy. He was their leading scorer, uh, most goals and most assists. But I don't think him and himself is enough. Him and Shveshnikov, I think they need help. You have a team that has a lot of uh, blue line power. Everyone respects the defense in Carolina. I think you take some of those pieces and you need to uh, do something to add to the, to the upfront power um, that is Carolina. You have two great goalies in Freddie Anderson and Ansi uh, Ranta. So I think there are forward powers where Carolina needs to work on. Um, so, yeah, it's funny. Once you make it to the second round, blowing up usually isn't something that uh, you would really consider. But maybe it's time. Maybe it's time because Colorado has – or not Colorado, rather, Carolina, in their own way, have been knocking on the door for a while. They've been kind of one of those quiet favorites for quite a few years now, much like the Leafs. And although they did get past the first round, it was kind of a mediocre second against a team that a lot of people did think they would pass, that they would get by a young Rangers team, and they didn't. And so that might scream some issues. So just because I don't want to have three holdups or four holdups here in this in the in this uh, in this round, I'm gonna say Carolina should just blow up and uh, salvage what they can, keep some core players, but let's see a different roster on the ice next year. Wow, that <laughs> is some energy. <laughs> I love it. So, who do you trade? Which of your star pieces do you trade? Do you trade Tiravainen? Do you trade Aho? Do you trade Svechnikov, Trocek? I think you pick pick one that you want. I don't think I don't think you move Trocek. Uh, I'm a big fan of Trocek, especially fantasy. Um, and I don't think you move Aho. I think he's your your main guy. Um, he could be your you know your Barkov or your Hubudo. I have a lot of respect for Svechnikov, but I think he's got to go. Um, and you have a lot of defense that, um, you know, they're not, not big names because they don't produce offensively, but they're big names when you think defense. And I think you can move a lot of those players, uh, move them around and, uh, you can really improve your forward core, I think. Um, so I think you keep Trocek, keep Ajo, but other than those two, oh, and you keep, uh, Ranta and Anderson. I think that is one very good duo, despite the fact that Ranta is constantly hurt. <laughs> um, I think that's a great goalie duo, especially for the playoffs. 
you keep Trocek, you keep Ajo, as I mentioned, and every, but everyone else, I would say, you know, if a deal comes your way, no one's untouchable other than those four guys, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think um, too much of the roster really stands out. Carolina, I think, is maybe a couple years behind a Colorado. I, I agree their defense has to improve. They have some solid um, defensive defensemen, but they don't have a guy that pushes the pace at both ends who can contribute offensively, put the puck into the hands of the forwards that need it as they're, as they're on the fly and also you know be a shutdown defensive guy. They don't have that guy. I really like Jacob Slavin on that team, but he's a defensive defenseman. He's a yeah. shutdown guy. So um, Anderson was injured. That was a huge loss. Ranch is great, but Anderson is the man in Carolina. So I don't say blow up. They definitely need to get uh, a defenseman of some sort that can you know, quarterback things in terms of playing the puck better. Um, but you look at Sveshnikov. He, he's like a, a Gabriel Landeskog type player. Aho can can be, be compared to um, Nathan McKinnon. So I see the makings of a great team, but they do need to either develop and draft uh, quality players like Colorado has done. But I just don't see them blowing up their team in a significant way that will make them competitive in the next couple of years, unless you tear it down completely, which is very rare for, for an NHL franchise to do. So um, I don't see them trading some of those key pieces. It'd be exciting. It'd be some great news for us in the summer. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just see some parallels to, to they're a couple of years behind where Colorado is now. But uh, I hear what you're saying, a couple years behind. But I just have a hard time agreeing with that because it seems like Carolina and Colorado have been kind of talked about for the same amount of time, in my opinion, right? Whereas, but I do agree with you on your, with your defensive point. Like if, uh, although he's not maybe um, a top-tier guy you would initially think of, but I think if Florida does not sign Ben Sherratt, then Colorado should, or Carolina should go after a guy like Ben Sherratt, right? So kind of that quiet, he can push um, the, the, the breakout. He can shut down defensively. Um, but you have, you have a wealth of defensive defensemen, and let's start spending some of that wealth for teams that would pay to get some of those guys on their roster. Uh, would definitely be worth your while. Um, but very interesting. Okay. Well, that wraps up our uh, five-minute major, which ended up being <laughs> uh, 17 minutes. <laughs> so short little segment for everyone there. Uh, but I hope uh, hope you liked it. And uh, to be clear, you know, about Carolina, just one final thing. I don't think they will blow up. I would just love to see them blow up because I think <laughs> that would uh, make a lot of conversation for all of us especially going into fantasy next year. If Sveshnikov was on, say, you know, um, Pittsburgh, you know, that would be one one crazy uh, little topic and a little nugget maybe that you might want to pick up on, on fantasy. But at any rate, well, we will see what happens. Uh...
All right, so we got the Western Conference series now. Um, how you feeling? Ah, oh, it's been a. <laughs> it's raining where we are right now. Drops <laughs> are rolling down the window. That's how I was feeling after Game Three. I was, uh, I, I was a little depressed. It was, it was a sad effort to see. I mean, Game Three, they did put a more solid effort. Um, up front but just game one and two it was just disheartening to see like what happened i don't know like these it's (laughs) defense can just pass the puck they push the play they jump into the play they're switching positions they're 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 all over the ice they're such good skaters i think from top to bottom colorado has assembled a team that can skate they have players that are skilled and can contribute, but also some guys that, you know, can kind of stick up for one another. Uh, you know, they're not a rough team by any means, but they're just such a well-rounded team. And it's just game one and two, they were buzzing. Like they were controlling play almost the whole game in those, in those two. And I was just like, where's McDavid? Like, why can't McDavid get going? Like, this oh, is our was- guy. Like he, he took over the series in, in, in round two. Like everyone was saying, this guy is is the best player to ever play the game. He's better than Gretzky. And I, I was I was right there. I was I was singing that song. We we were having dinner the other day, and and what was I telling you? If this oh, guy, man. you were going off. Like, he's he's gonna be cemented in history. And but he. Had, it just Colorado has slowed him down. I, I don't know what it is, but he doesn't have that dominance that he did in the past two series. When he turns it on and you're just like, wow, nobody's stopping this guy. But Colorado has found a way. And it's I wouldn't say they stop him so much. It's just they're pushing, they're controlling the pace of play. And McDavid's trying to chase McCarr, McKinnon, Caudry, Rantanen. It's just and the puck moves faster than a player. That's and at the end of the day. Yeah. That's what it is, right? Yeah. So it's uh it's not looking good for the Oilers. I still would consider it a successful season. They made it to the Western Conference Finals. I think that's higher than most would have picked going into the season. Um, especially in the middle of the season when they weren't even in a playoff position. And then going into the playoffs, you know, they at least won that round one. They won the Battle of Alberta, provided so much entertainment. But I think Colorado is just, they're, they're constructed in a way that Edmonton is not prepared to, to beat, to perform better than. So we'll see how game four goes. Obviously, they need to win tonight. We're recording on Monday. So they need to win this game four. It sounds like they have a couple injuries. Um, obviously, we'll get into some of the, the major shakeups a little bit later um, in terms of injuries and, and suspension. But we'll see who they bring in. But missing a Vander Kane for one game it, it is not the guy you want to be out of the lineup. So No, that's for sure. Yeah, it's gonna hurt. I, I like what you said though that uh, they they put together a team of skaters. I think that's a skill that's very underestimated in the playoffs. 
is there's so much talk about goaltending and defense and whatnot, but and, was, and those things are important. But this is a prime example of how you have the best player in the world. And like you said, it's not that they're stopping McDavid, but they're containing him. They're making him non a non-threat because he's not getting the puck. And instead of one guy just trying to skate away from him, that guy is taking the puck and he's passing it away, which is just exhausting McDavid. That being said, he was clearly pissed after game three. I suspect my prediction for tonight is that Edmonton will win tonight because I just don't think there's any way McDavid after that, like he was so upset, so visibly angry, that there's no way he's going to let, let it uh, be a sweep. There's no way that, however, it really goes to show, as you mentioned earlier, we always talk about McDavid, McDavid this, McDavid that, and with good reason, obviously, but it hurt Dreisaitl you're really starting to see his value. And that's always an issue when you talk, when people talk about the most valuable player on a team, the heart trophy, you know, they always talk, well, how can you win the heart trophy if you're not the most valuable player on your team? And when you play in a team with McDavid, he will always be the, the best player and the most valuable player. However, we can really see that if dry settled on this game, and this is no knock on him. I mean, he's hurt. Everyone knows he's hurt. Right. He, and he's still trying, you know, he's still producing a lower level, but he's still out there. It really goes to show his impact on the game, on Edmonton's game in particular. Now, all that being said, like you said, not having, not having Evander Kane, that is going to be a very difficult uh, hurdle to get over. Now, thankfully, if you want to view it that way, Kadri is out. So basically Colorado's version of Vander Kane is also out. Yeah. I think it would be worse if Kadri was playing and Kane was not, but they're both out. That type of player for both teams is out. And so the focus now reshifts on McDavid and McKinnon. And, you know, McKinnon had a rough season. He was hurt a lot of this season and talks of him being the best player in the world kind of really the past year or two have really kind of quieted. You had the emergence of Austin Matthew, 60 goal man. You had dry you know, keeping up with McDavid all year. And so the talk of McKinnon being the best player in the world or, or one of the best has kind of quieted. No one's forgotten about him, but in this series, he's really showing that his name deserves to be in that conversation once again. Right. And, but not just him. Rantanen's killing it. Lendiskog's killing it. Kadri was killing it. Um, but then just announced today, right, after that boarding injury from Evander Kane, the reason for the suspension, now Kadri has already had surgery on his thumb and could be out the rest of – well, definitely the rest of the series, but could be out the rest of the season. And that really changes the projection of the Colorado Avalanche. Even though he's not top three or top four on their team – just the role he plays, much like Evander Kane, is significant on the Colorado Avalanche. Darcy Hemper, Kemper rather, not being, um, not playing. However, Pavel Fransuz, I had him on my fantasy team a couple years back, and I was hoping he would he would heal up and, and come back in the season. He ended up not, so I didn't keep him. But 
he's really showing how good he truly is. And because of his injuries, no one's really kept track of him. But stepping in in such a big-time moment at a big series against a really good Edmonton Oilers team, he's really shown his caliber of uh, goaltending as well. Um, and that's kind of been the story line, I think, of a lot of these playoffs is how many backups have had a chance to play. Like Ranta, Ranta we talked about the Carolina Hurricanes. It wasn't his fault that they lost. He did a fantastic job. He did his job, right? You had Bennington and Huso. They did both did their jobs, right? And so the backup goaltending has really been a storyline through all the playoffs, and now Colorado is facing the same, the same storyline now too. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting to see. Um, I thought when Kemper went out that Edmonton could have taken advantage. I think in game one, they could have. They missed their opportunity. I think they had some opportunities in, in these series. Despite Colorado controlling a lot of the play, they had opportunities to, to win the games. Last game, they hit a post. Yeah. To, to almost take the lead and then it goes back and we've seen it before mike smith lets one squeak right through the body <laughs> and it just dribbles over the goal line it's that goal just i i just see mcdavid sitting on the bench and and you just deflate oh you saw him deflate you saw it in his face just totally melt yeah exactly it's like again the, we're down we have to you know, try to get a goal in the last six minutes. So these guys need to come out and they need to just put the effort, the game of their lives, if they want to continue this series. Jay Woodcroft from the beginning said, we focus on today's business. We take care of what we need to today. We don't worry about having to win four straight. We got to win tonight to be able to play in two nights. So if they can keep that focus and play the game of their lives, then you focus on game number five. But for now, they need to win tonight. And not going to lie, I'm not the most confident, but I do like your point. The anger in McDavid's eyes, I want to see him on fire. I want to see him do what he did in game or the first series and the second series and drag his team to victory because he's the best player in the world. McKinnon even said that at the beginning of the season, he pumped McDavid's tires. And, you know, this has to be one of his top performances. And who knows, maybe he's battling an injury. They're all, everyone's banged up at this point. But, um, yeah. you know, like Colorado obviously has Kemper out, Burakovsky and Kadri. So those are some pretty, you know, important players for them. And Edmonton has to try to take advantage. And Gerard, Gerard's out still too, right? That's uh, yeah. Gerard's a big, big, a big thing on their on their on the back end from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, they're going to be exciting though. I do honestly hope Edmonton wins. I'd love to see more Edmonton, Colorado. I think everyone would. But yeah, that post and then that goal, like I only laugh because you could almost hear the city of Edmonton from here in Toronto. You could almost hear the entire city just moan and anguish when they saw that happen right yeah but that's the way it goes sometimes and that's always been mike smith right like hero one day villain the next yeah 
Exactly. All right. So that brings us to our power play topic. And uh, I'm pretty sure Eric could talk a whole podcast just about this singular moment in hockey. Um, was it offside is what we've kind of named this. We generally don't give this segment a special name, but I think this play deserves its own little thing. Was it offside? The Cal McCarr goal, which was just a wicked snipe in itself. Let's, let's just make that part clear. It wasn't about his goal scoring ability, but was he offside? Eric, what do you think? A country mile offside. <laughs> There is no doubt in my mind that <laughs> any linesman would call that offside. Like, how do you, how is one guy not even attempting to cross the line and McKinnon's already in the offensive zone? The whole possession and non-possession, okay, the, the puck wasn't on a stick for half a second. But he was he was stick handling before the blue line, and he pushes the puck into the zone and and continues his his play. And and like you said, it was a nice shot. Who knows? Maybe Smith said, "Whoa, that guy's that's offside." Maybe that a little maybe a little pause in his brain was like, "Oh, that's offside," and your brain automatically slumps. But you and- should never stop playing until the whistle blows. That's you can't use that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but just. No way should that have been a goal that completely changed the game. Edmonton was rolling. They came back from being down, what was it, 6-2. They came right back into the game. And then that's the goal that puts Colorado ahead of Edmonton. It was a long review. And I've seen explanations as to why it was a good goal. But you can't tell me in real time that the refs, had that in mind, like, oh, for that 0.2 of a second, he didn't have the stick on his puck or the stick, the puck on his stick. So I've seen the explanations. I've watched it a thousand times. And, and it angers me that, that that swayed the series from the beginning. I do think it's unfortunate that in such a, what everyone knew was going to be a tight series that we're all talking about one goal rather than performances of some players that have had fantastic games. Um, but just like, you know, was it a kick? And there was, you know, another discussion with the kicking motion. I think it comes back to defining the rule. Um, granted, if I was, a, if I, if that happened to Leafs, I would be furious thousand percent, but according to the rules, you know, was Kalmakar thinking about that rule? I no, there's no, there's no flipping way that Kalmakar was thinking, oh, if I just kind of push this up past the blue line, you know, then I can reclaim the puck and it's not offside. Um, and I think the other thing too that they were talking about was that it wasn't that it was a delayed offside that it wasn't a normal offside where they're all five players are rushing up the ice. One guy coming back, the guess the rule is, you know, which I'd never seen before, but I guess the only reason it came into conversation is because it ended up in a goal, but you do see that type of play a lot more than you realize. It just doesn't get reviewed 
and is not talked about as much. That being said, I understand why Edmonton Oilers fans everywhere were absolutely livid about that call. Um, that I can certainly understand. <laughs> I don't care how many explanations I see. <laughs> an offside it's like if anything is an offside that is clearly offside and like you said McKinnon's a great player did he think of pushing the puck over the blue line until his guy got got to the line I I don't see it I think it was just fortunate and the you know I've seen so many different explanations to why why it was a goal but they need to define okay what is possession because right yeah could push the puck, you know, five feet into the zone, have his guy still coming back 10 feet out and with his speed, just go on and score every goal. So I think the Oilers need to, to turn that to an advantage, make some plays where they can do the non offside rule and have McDavid fly into the zone with his guy still on, on their side, you know, at their, their red line. And <laughs> so just plant, happens. just plant Zach Hyman in front of the net and have McDavid come across the blue line that same way and exactly. just fire and have, have uh Hyman just tap it or uh, deflect it in. You know, when McDavid flies past the defenseman, if McDavid is behind the defenseman and you know, nobody's going to stop the puck, he can just push it over the blue line when he's beating the defenseman, have his guy be offside, jump back into the play. And there you go. It's just, if your guy, your teammate is, inside their zone and you are skating in and you're behind the defenseman but he's still in their zone how is that offside you can push the puck into the zone if you're beat if you're beating the defenseman nobody's going to touch the puck the goalie's going to come out and play it no so the whole purpose of offside you know is to make sure that you know i guess not people aren't cherry picking in their zone or or getting ahead of the play they have that rule in soccer and it's very clear if you know you're touching the ball before you know behind the defenseman like it's just it's offside <laughs> i see what you say with the chair picking but i can't remember who it was that was offside but he didn't touch the puck so in, in, in essence he didn't affect the play whatsoever he didn't touch the puck but mckinnon was already lasering a shot on goal at at the time he crossed the blue line. <laughs> just, just to be clear for those listening, every time I talk, um, Eric's face goes to this complete look of just shut up. You don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so... It's clearly uh, feeling that one, which I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't uh, fault any Edmonton Oilers fan for feeling that one. That one would have hurt. Uh, if you're a fan of, of your team and that's the goal that, like you said, timing of the goal too, you know, puts your team ahead, puts your team down rather the other team ahead that, that hurts, that hurts. It's one thing if, if Edmonton had been up six, one or six, nothing. And that was the one goal Colorado scored. Would you care? No, you'd be mad about it, but like, whatever, that was, you know, one goal, but because of the one it was putting them past, you know, yeah, I, I understand. I understand. Anyways, and that killed their momentum. That's all I'll say. Colorado has been the better team, but they killed Edmonton's momentum from the start. The, re- the refs killed their momentum, is what you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, well, thanks for your honesty, as always, Eric. <laughs>
All right, that brings us to our final segment that uh, I'm always excited to hear. Uh, We're coming up on an hour, so we'll hopefully not take too, too long with this one. But I'm always excited to hear Eric's thoughts. Here we go. (laughs) Okay. So piggybacking up off of what we just talked about, if you could change or add a rule to see in the NHL implemented next season, what would it be? Would you have no offsides, just free flowing play? (laughs) Would you have continuous three on three overtime instead of just five minutes and then a shootout, just three minutes? Three on or continual three on three overtime until a goal is scored. You'll have exciting hockey. Or do you add in a rule of some sort? That's interesting. Uh, no to the offside adjustment. I think you need offsides, obviously, because then you will get guys who will cherry pick, and you'll love it when it happens for your team, but you'll hate it when another team does it to you. Um. I what was the other one was the uh, the overtime as exciting as that would be to a fan I don't see that I would never see it happening I think it's just too exhausting the five minutes is enough of excitement um shootouts are you know hit and miss um so if I were to adjust overtime I would say maybe adding a minute or two to the five minutes um, but I mean, those five minutes are always, always sometimes the most exciting part of the game. Um, as far as rules adding go, add it, yeah, adding a rule goes or modifying a rule, I'd have to give that some thought. Um, these playoffs have really brought to light a lot of different things. I would like to see um, off the top of my head, I would like to see a bit more definition on what is a kick what is a kicking motion Hmm. right um because we already had that like if a guy is moving forward and as we saw he yes he positioned his foot to hit the puck but he you know he didn't kick it when you think of someone kicking something your foot comes off the ground and it moves forward makes contact and follows through that's not what happened but I understand why they called it a kicking motion. At any rate, uh, I would say I'd like a bit more definition as far as that rule goes. Um, what is a kicking motion? Um, and also some odd things have happened this year with icing. Um, I feel like if, if a player takes the puck and he just dumps it down the ice and it goes clear through the center of the stadium and, you know, that's icing. But if it goes off, let's say the glass, not off a player. Because once it goes off a player, right, that's not considered icing. So, but if he ricochets it off the the glass, and I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say the boards because I think the boards that'd be that's too cheap. It's too easy, especially for these guys. But if he can ricochet it off the glass and still clear it, that should not be icing. Um, because they're with shooting at the glass, there is a risk of. Um, delay of game and so with the risk should come a reward 
And so I think that would be interesting to see with icing is if they modified that rule so that if you could ricochet off the glass um, and then still dump it at that point and it still stays in play, it stays fair, then that should not be icing. Yeah, that's a better move. Throwing it off the glass, out of the zone. It's an interesting, interesting take. I do get what you mean. It's uh, not rimming it around the boards all the way to the other end. Like you said, there's some risk of, of delay of game. Um, that, that's an interesting rule. I, I agree. I would like something to be changed about the icing rule. Um, I obviously know why they implemented it. So guys aren't running each other from behind into the boards. Right. Because you saw some bad injuries in yeah. the day with the old icing rule, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So what would you change? What would you add? So I would add and I would take away. So I would add, if you do not check or stick check a player in front of you, how can you defend them from behind? So this is obviously a McDavid-esque yes. um, rule, but so many times... But annoying as a fan. Yeah. That, that happens not just to McDavid. That happens a lot. Away, you're taking away so many opportunities. So if you can't check the guy in front or clearly stick check him legally, then it should be called either a penalty shot or at the very least a power play. Because there's so many times McDavid blow, blows by a defenseman and they have all sorts of tricks to, to slow him down, grab him, hook him. And... It, so many times it goes uncalled. And that's why I call it a McDavid-esque rule because he's known to blow by guys. And they're just trying to get a piece of them to slow them down. And I would like to see a little bit more implemented in terms of if the defenseman is beat, you either play back and have him skate into you or you check him as he, as he approaches you. You don't, you don't, you know, grab or clutch or all these things after he's already beaten you. And I've seen that quite a few times throughout the playoffs, not just on McDavid, but, but other players as well. A rule I would like to see um, taken away. I've seen a lot and players are really skilled that at that hooking penalty though, is so many times the guy gets called for a hook, but it's the offensive forward that is holding the stick and and let and I'll be honest, McDavid is is really good at that too. Yeah. And, and the calls he draws is because of that. So I would like to see that that changed up a little bit because there's been a couple times, you know, Edmonton's been burned and and other teams as well where it's called a hook, but the offensive player is holding the stick. So how about give coincidental? Um, it's almost a flop or or what's that penalty an embellishment penalty yeah diving yeah a diving penalty so i've seen that a few times throughout the playoffs on, on a couple different teams so you know i think if both guys are doing it open up the ice give them both a penalty and and you're all good yeah i think i actually like that i, I was gonna say i'm glad you brought up the second half of that because i was like fine yes a guy should be able to somehow be able to check from behind a player but you know, half the time it's the offensive player holding onto the stick. And what is what is the defensive player supposed to do? Like he lets go of the stick and he still gets called for hooking. Yeah. And it's just like, but it was so 
I agree. I think that would actually be fantastic at offsetting. Anytime you reach over, anytime you reach over and you physically grab the your opponent's stick with your hand, um, that's a penalty. And if it's because he's reaching around you, as we see so many times, the arm comes around and he's trying to, you know, he's on the right side of the player, but his arm's going around to the left. That's a penalty. And so I have an off- offensive or um, offsetting penalties for that, I think would, uh, that would be interesting. Um, because yeah, that always drives me nuts, whether, you know, as a Leafs fan, whether it's Austin Matthews, that's happening to him or he's doing it, even when he's doing that, grabbing onto some guy's stick, it just annoys me. Yeah. It's like, cause I remember like in high school or whatever, when you played, when you played hockey, you know, and some guy did that, like you leveled him for that. Like you don't, you don't grab onto my stick like that. Yeah. Exactly. But then, well, it's, it's just like, oh, well, it's there. So I'm going to grab onto it and then you're going to get the penalty, sucker. Like, it's, I don't, I never like that. So I appreciate, I appreciate that call. I like that, that change. That would be nice. McDavid, to see. McDavid is, is very, very known for that, for selling that call. But there's a lot more that he has to put up with. So he has to draw penalties. He should be drawing more penalties. So I see why he does it. But as a whole, like we've said, that should be a coincidental um, minor, and both guys should should go to the box. Opens up the ice for a four on four. So I don't know if we'll ever see it, but I think it would be exciting. So one more quick question for Eric Slots. Let's do it. How many times do you dip a cookie? <laughs> so do you dip a cookie? Are you a dipper? Do you don't dip? Do you take a bite of the cookie and then drink the milk? Or do you let the, the cookie just soak up until it just about crumbles into the glass of milk and then becomes soggy and then you have to fish it out with your fingers? How do you eat cookies and milk? Or do you even have cookies and milk? I personally, I love cookies and milk. I is one of my favorite snacks. In fact, at my wedding, one of the desserts, we had pasta d'oeuvres all night. Um, from from appetizers to mains to desserts and one of our passing desserts was a little shot glass of milk and just just straight milk and a little mini cookie chocolate chip cookie and it was i know you may think what you want but honestly we had we had you know about 300 people at our weddings not huge not small but everyone loved that past dessert or d'oeuvres even though it had no booze in it it was just milk and cookies, but it was fantastic. So I'm a bit, I love milk, uh, cookies and milk, but it does depend on the cookie. So like an Oreo, that's dunk that for sure. Chocolate chip, no question. Um, but then you get all these fancy ones like ginger molasses or white chocolate macadamia nut. And those, I, 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 I don't know. They're not, they're not necessarily my favorites to begin with, but like a fudgio cookie, anything with chocolate, I think. It, it needs to be dunked. It needs to be dunked in, in that milky goodness. Um, and to the, and just to the point where, well, maybe not quite where it gets soggy. That's getting a little, a little nasty, but where it's definitely soaked up some milk. And so it's softer than the surrounding cookie. This so is a, you do want a, this like is a, a technical thing. Crunch. <laughs> you want a little bit of crunch left where it's not like a moist right. cookie. Right. A little, little crunch. Just a little, but the part of the cookie is definitely softer. 
Are you dipping an oatmeal raisin? Uh, no, I, I, oatmeal raisins are not my favorite. I think a lot of people feel that way. I personally oh, love, what? I personally love oatmeal chocolate chip. Oatmeal oh. chocolate chip is the bomb. That's a fantastic cookie right there. And that's that I will fired. That's fired. Okay. <laughs> I, I can, I can concede that, but an oatmeal chocolate chip. Now you cannot tell me that is not a top three cookie. That's what I mean. It's a fantastic cookie. I love oatmeal chocolate chip. Fantastic. All right. All oatmeal right. raisin, eh, if I have to. Although I will say, I have made oatmeal cookie, oatmeal chocolate chip cookies in the past. I love making cookies. I love baking cookies. Um, and different kinds, snickerdoodles. Oh, snickerdoodles, so good. So good. Shortbread cookies. Um, but with oatmeal raisin, the key is the cinnamon and large raisins. None of these little ones. Like large raisins that's the key good raisins good, good omi raisin cookie because they're already not people's favorites i think people don't like them because of the raisins but if you do like raisins yeah you need some nice big it's got to be it's got to be a, a a nice soft oatmeal raisin cookie and if cinnamon gonna, cinnamon is key cinnamon is key hey <laughs> I, I i to your wedding point i think that is a great idea uh, <laughs> reason why is it's just so nostalgic right is it is right you just like having that that cookie and you dip it in the milk and you and then you just wash it all down finishing the the half glass of milk with a few floating pieces of cookie in there absolutely i I could do it both ways i could bite the cookie drink the milk then you don't get milk all over your fingertips or you soak it in for a few seconds i always like things with a little bit of a crunch no, vegetables are good if you cook them you don't cook them soggy you cook them with a, a hint of crunch um, and i think cookies are the same way you dip it not more than than three seconds and uh three four seconds just get it where you get a hint of milk hint of um liquid in there and and just softens it up just enough and that can enjoy cooking more than that so that's fantastic what a great question thank Here, you thoughts as a preview, if I may, we'll talk about this in between, but I do think for next episode, I may have a question for Eric's thoughts. Fantastic. But we'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens next episode. Alrighty, everyone. That is our episode for today. Another one of What the H your favorite fantasy hockey podcast. He's Eric. I'm Corey. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the conference finals. You're listening to What the H, a fantasy hockey podcast.